but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. The, the, the murder hornets are going to get you first. So it's like, don't worry about it. A- alleged murder, murder hornets. They haven't, murder, they haven't been proven to have committed murder yet. Murder it's hornets, alleged. you know, or, or, or the, the UFO aliens are going to get you, you know, or... Uh, yeah, there was a tweet. Uh, there was a tweet about a week ago that said uh, uh, someone pointed out that uh, that there was an asteroid coming towards yeah, the Earth, yeah, and, yeah. and it was going to miss. You know, they said there's an asteroid coming. It's a really big one, but it's going to miss the Earth. And then the guy's response was, "We just cannot catch a break." Well, right? well, yeah, well that plus, yeah, if it was going to, you know, if it was going to hit, they would certainly tell us that it was going to miss. Okay, oh, so. Well. Who cares? <laughs> no. Yeah, right. Okay. Anyways. Oh, uh, the the fodder for endless sci-fi movies going back. I was going to gonna say, you know, Armageddon was a prophecy, man. It wasn't fiction. Oh, okay. There we go. All right. All right. What's next? What do we got here? Uh, did you see this? This uh, this uh, the Internet Movie Plane database? I've heard of that. I, I've, I, I've seen it before. I never had seen it. So so I've been during one of my little uh, shelter in place activities to pass the time is I'm catching up on all kinds of old TV that I've been wanting to watch. Um, and one of the shows that I've been watching and enjoying a lot, by the way, is uh, on Netflix, The Crown, um, the story about uh, the royal family, uh, sort of the life of Queen Elizabeth ish. All right. Um, and one of the things I found interesting about the crown was they've, they've shown some really interesting, um, vintage airplanes, airplanes from the day back in the, the fifties and sixties and whatnot. And, um, and I was curious to see how they'd done it. So I did a Google search on, on airplanes from the crown and stumbled upon this internet movie plane database, um, which is like very much like the uh, you know I most everyone knows about the IMDb the internet internet movie database which has got all kinds of information about cast members and right. and and whatnot. Um, this is a pretty serious effort that basically doc- documents aircraft that have appeared in lots of different movies. I mean, look at the homepage here. Uh, actually, it's not the homepage. If you go into the link I gave you, um, and then in the upper left, click click movie TV list, um, you start to see an alphabetical list and there's just like a lot of movies. This is based at uh, Wikipedia. This is a Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. So users have, have entered information and just start surfing through here um, and find your favorite movie. And, and there's everything from information about, about airplanes that have actually, you know, actual airplanes that have been I don't know what you want to call it, cast members or whatever, um, in the movie, all the way to things like if there was a picture on a, on a, on the wall of a set, um, there will sometimes be a note about what that aircraft was. It's just like a lot of information here. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, the fa- set dresser stays busy. Yeah, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, I know, really. And uh, you know, and sometimes they're even accurate. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> Jeb, what's your favorite movie here? Let's look it up. Oh, my favorite movie that would have an airplane in it. I don't know whether it would or not. But that's the whole. That's the beauty of it. Right? To pick one that even if you didn't think it would have an airplane, you know, it's like. Uh, 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 okay, well, one an air, a movie that I'm pretty sure did not have an airplane in it. Okay, and that how about. Um, um, all right, When Harry Met Sally. 
When Harry Met Sally. Okay, here we go. So that's fine. When, um, you can search for it. I've just, I, I have just, uh, this morning the search was kind of slow, so I'm doing it. Wait a minute. When Harry Met Sally. All right, it's listed, so there's information of some sort here. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, apparently they flew on an airplane. It showed, they, uh, which is sort of, you know, they, I bet they traveled around the country. I vaguely remember that. I haven't watched this movie in forever. But, uh, oh, that's right, because they were on that airplane. That's, yeah. There was a scene. It was Yeah, okay. That wasn't the whole airplane. That was a set in Hollywood somewhere. Yeah, but there were there were apparently because there are screenshots here, okay. you know there were apparently cutaway you know uh, uh, shots of this 737 United Colors 737 that um, they they travel. And, okay, uh, so I don't I don't. S- what? Let's see. Um. um eh, all right. I'll okay. I'll go with some of that. Um, what's an, an, what, air, what you, an airplane? Is an airplane or a helicopter? In what? Okay, is that what we're talking about? I don't know. Star so Wars. I'll, there was no airplane or helicopter in Star Wars. You're, you're saying you're, you're you're claiming that, or you're saying I'm, that's I'm, what this I'm, thing tells I'm, you? I'm I'm I don't know if I'm claiming that or not. I'm I'm postulating that. All right. Well, let's see what it has to say about Star Wars. So you said Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Star Wars. Okay. Episode five or whatever the hell it was four i by the way i'm almost caught up i i've actually that's one of the things on my list i believe it or not i have not watched number nine i've now what's it called sky what's it called uh, uh, uh skywalker rises or returns uh, ri- or, the rise of skywalker yeah and uh i i just rewatched number eight in order to kind of get prepped and now soon i will watch uh star wars episode well, let's go with episode three. No, no, no. The only one that's the only one that's listed here is episode one, Phantom Menace. Phantom What's Menace. It? And so it's just talking about the, uh, the 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 aircraft of the time. All right, the uh, the N one Starfighter, the Naboo Starfighter, um, or the UCAV Droid Starfighter. No, 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 no. no. Okay. Yeah, I totally get how there were craft uh in as as props as as uh vehicles in star wars in the whole star wars universe but there weren't any quote airplanes or helicopters all uh, right okay well then you, there, there you, were what they weren't real in any rate they were they were fiction they were cgi they were uh mock-up but they my thing when you were talking about an airplane the internet plane database or whatever it's called here is um, it has to have been a real aircraft. Yes. Okay. Well, then that's, let me call you. That's your, my criteria. Let me call it, whether or not you're interested in the TV series of The Crown, The Life of Queen Elizabeth, um, the airplanes are pretty fascinating. Um, I, I would call your attention to all the really interesting historic airplanes that have appeared, um, apparently largely CGI. The one that really caught my attention was um, a couple of different times they showed a comet. Um uh, in flight because it was the airliner of the day right. uh, for a period. Um, and the comet, if I'm recalling correctly, the comet's the one that was had disastrous crash problems, right? It had, yes. The windows yeah. popped out, the win- right? Windows well, let go because they had corners on them. Right, and so there was a there was a series of crashes with that ended in I think them just retiring that airplane or something like that. No, mis- they they redesigned it and they it fixed went on it for okay. some some different models. I don't know if they went back and and rehabbed existing in service airplanes or not. Yeah, but well, I, I was variations of it continued to fly as yeah, military aircraft. Right, right. but they, they, yeah. they had three disintegrations in flight. 
Two were complete mysteries because they happened over water and they couldn't recover the wreckage. The third one was when they had wreckage because it happened over land and went, ah, metal fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it was right. It was somewhat mysterious at the time for a while, um, and uh, yeah, oh, it was unprecedented. So, yeah, so uh, I you know I saw this these airplanes. Um, they you know they were basically exterior shots of someone was traveling by the airline or this aircraft, and we saw it from the outside. And I was looking at the shot, going, "Wow, could that possibly be a real comet?" Um, and I, my research has indicated that it's not. It's a CGI comet, but uh-huh. uh, um, it's uh, well. And Dave's absolutely right. The, the basic comet airframe um, was militarized into the RAF Nimrod, which was an anti-submarine yep. and, and or oh. uh, early warning uh, platform. Um, and I don't know, they may still be operational. I, I think they were phased out. It wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Really? And I think there was a bomber uh variation on it early on too uh and it's all this all transpired because uh up until the comet was uh put into surface service the only pressurized aircraft that uh were out there in any numbers were b-29s mm-hmm. and only part of the b-29 was pressurized that's right a cabin a cockpit crew, uh, a tunnel leading back to a crew department where the waste gunners operated their guns remotely and a tail gunner. Uh, they were pressurized throughout that. But the rest of the airplane wasn't. And work hardening, with fuselage flexes, it swells up. When it gets pressurized, it shrinks when it comes down. Combine that with the sub uh, zero temperatures at, at its cruising altitude and uh it, well let's just say it, it didn't have a long lifespan mm-hmm. yeah i'm sorry i'm just i i, I was listening that that is interesting i was i was just scrolling through the list of all the airplanes that appeared in the in the uh, in the uh, crown and uh, it's it's pretty impressive actually um but anyways the internet um i'm sorry i didn't get the name right where to go here scroll back to the top the uh, internet. Now, see, I can't even find it spelled out. Anyways, the internet movie plane database, IMPDB, um, which is actually the uh, URL. It's IMPDB.org. And. Uh, Eeny, meeny, chili, beanie. Yeah. No, yeah it's we're a, about to speak. It's a cool site. I like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be visiting this a fair amount now that I know it exists. Um, and like a lot of these uh, crowdsource things, um, it needs money for paying for the servers and perhaps other things. Um, they're urging us to donate, and I may do that. Um, but uh, consider that. Anyways. All right. Well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Is it time to start this thing? Did you uh, and yeah, you I hit should, record. I should hit record sometimes. You did, you did so. push record, right? I should hit record. Yeah, but I but I can do this. I can say, "Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast." I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from uh, alongside the banks of the uh, rushing, raging uh, Cochico River here in Dover, New Hampshire. It has been rushing. We've been getting a fair amount of rain up here lately, and uh, we get a big rain event, and the river. So the river. 
not only does the river go by my you know my neighborhood here, but there's actually a pretty dramatic waterfall-y kind of thing. All right, it's, a, a, it's a, literally a mill dam. That's what it used to be back in the day, um, and then the water f- cascades over the top of the mill dam across a bunch of rocks, um, and uh, uh, very very dramatic when the water's flowing. And it has been lately. There's been some days when the river's really roaring over these falls. It's pretty cool. I like wandering down there and just kind of admiring it. Every time you you talk about the river, we I'm Jack. I'm here beside the banks of. I I am convinced every time I hear that phrase that the next words will be by the banks of the Gitche Gumi. <laughs> Because you're a child of the 60s as well. I'm a child of the 60s as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm uh, here in my uh, our virtual hangar talking to my uh, good friends. Uh, that's uh, That voice there is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. The raging Sarasota, Florida uh, is Jeb Burnside. Good morning, Jeb. How are good, you doing? I'm fine. I would maybe you left out a syllable. It's called the in, enraging. And raging. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, you do. You have a, lo- a bit of a love hate relationship yeah, with uh, yeah, your yeah. your your home of ten years now, right? Like, it's I'll, been ten plus years. 13. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how you doing? What's going on? I'm good. Um, kind of hanging out. You know, nothing yep. much going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. We all we all continue to uh, shelter in place. Um, and uh, the obligatory report that uh, I will say for myself that I am well. Um, and then just, I mean, health wise, uh, I'm going a little stir crazy like everybody. Uh, Jeb, are you well? Are I am you? well. Okay, good. I'm as well as I've ever been. How's that for a quality? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, but uh, well, anyways. And my other good friend. My other good friend. No, 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 no. We'll, what, what? We'll, we'll come back to that. All right, we'll come back to that. Uh, I'm sorry, was that a setup for something? You were actually going somewhere with that. No, no. See, no, I did. You, I you were mulling something. You, I don't you, know. You, the gears were turning. I could hear them from here. I was I, see. I wasn't a good improv um, um, partner. I I should have said, yeah, Jeb, and what? Uh, yes, and you're supposed to yes, and that's what they say in improv. Uh, Maybe we'll come back to that. My other good friend here in our virtual hangar from uh, the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas, is uh, Dave Higdon. Good morning, David. How are you doing? Ah, so far so good. And uh, uh, just for the record, you are well as well? Yeah. Yeah, I've even had that confirmed by medical authorities. They looked at me and said, don't come in here. <laughs> and, and, and Which could so mean I, two things. Yeah, yeah, I know. could go either way. Yeah, David? Yeah, but no, no fever, no uh, sore throat, no cough, mm-hmm. uh, none of the uh, telltale symptoms, and uh, I'm staying busy with work then uh, mm-hmm. trying to uh, trying to gin up some uh, story ideas to sell to a couple of my clients that uh, I hope will help replace the uh, stories that I would have brought home from Sun and Fun and Oshkosh. Uh, because that's that's my drill at those shows. I, I use yeah. them. I use them as a mining project. I know. Uh, I've watched. Yeah. It, and uh, boy, having none of those so far this year, and questions about a third show in October. Uh, losing all those would put a significant dent in the uh, bottom line at the end of the year. So I'm not freaked out about it or anything. I mean. Got money to pay the bills and so on. They'll sweat there. But I would like to replace some of those with real stories, A, in service to my clients, and B, just because it'll keep me busier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I came across a story in the news um, in the last couple of days. Uh, let's see now. This is dated April 17th. So that's got a month ago. But uh, 
the this is a, the the Arion, all right? The, the Arion, which is the uh, uh, in development supersonic business jet. That's, oh yeah, the AS two. Right. The I AS2. just did a story about that. Yeah, and so I don't know exactly what the news is here. I think they've kind of reached some milestone or something's going on. The main reason I flag this story <laughs> is that um, the, the thing I find interesting about the Arion project is that we talked about the Arion project in episode, UCAP episode number five. Yeah. All right? Yeah. I mean, it's like that long that this project has Jack, been. Jack, Yeah? Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> I guess not. All right? That's like, you know. <clears throat> but my other my other question about this, they call it, they're calling it the AS-2 now? Is that what yep. you mean? Yeah. What happened to the AS-1? Uh, that was the uh, initial design of... Uh, that was uh, produced for the jet back, oh, gee, many, 15 years ago. Uh, that sounds about right, since we talked about it about 15 years ago. And uh, since then, they rethought the, uh, the size, the seating, and the engine configuration and incorporated those changes into the uh, design. So we went from AS... Arion Supersonic 1 to Arion Supersonic 2. Uh, it's going to be a three-engine jet, uh, about $120 million, And uh, they're still taking the same approach that I think could make this one a winner. Uh, the airfoil is uh, natural laminar flow designed by a, a gentleman named Tracy, uh, Dr. Tracy. I met him, first NBAA they came to. Uh, and the airfoil design, the fuselage design, it supports supersonic at about 1.6 Mach with really decent fuel efficiency, but also supports 0.9 Mach subsonic with almost the same fuel efficiency. Mm-hmm. And so that instead of paying the huge penalty that Concord had to pay to go subsonic over the United States in particular, uh, it'll be about as fuel efficient subsonic as it is uh, supersonic. And they're designing it to have a very low boom profile. And there's two, three other companies chasing this same rabbit. And uh, one, one of them's going to come out of the rabbit hole flying. Well, that was my question here. I'm skimming the article trying to figure out. Has there been a flying prototype yet? No. Okay. I think Boom has had a uh, a, a, a model that they've flown. But, uh, don't hold me to that. But there's Boom and there's Spike and there's Arion and there's two others. Uh, Sounds like... Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> B or C grade uh, cable TV channels. I know. Boom right? and Spike yeah. and Arion. And, yeah, okay. I thought you were going to say it was the the uh, members of the band Shana. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's uh, there's a specific engine in development for it. Uh, if I remember my story correctly, uh, that's a product uh, involving uh, GE's engine group. Uh, and uh, it's dual fan, dual shaft, twin spool, uh, very sophisticated uh, uh, electronic power management, FADEC, and uh, designed it, it, it around, uh, designed for a nacelle 
that will work efficiently for the aircraft at subsonic as well as it does supersonic. And and that's a real trick. That's something that Concorde could not match. Most of our supersonic bombers couldn't match, and that's any kind of reasonable fuel consumption subsonically. Yeah. All right. You know, you know I don't try and pr- – I don't tout it here on the podcast, all right, but my personal – um, um, supersonic high-tech aircraft development program. It has way better technology than that. Oh, it's mine is awesome. All right, it's a very subtle joke. I, I understand. Making. I understand. Yeah, yeah mine, uh, mine goes to eleven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Exactly. All right. Um, um, speaking of vintage airplanes, uh, so. Uh, <laughs> Oh, good old Spinal Tap. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of vintage airplanes here, uh, I came across this story uh, also from late April. Um, So the U.S. Air Force has asked for uh, proposals to uh, re-engine the B-52. I saw that. Is this crazy or what? Okay, they want to, uh, they need a, they want a state-of-the-art update the engines on the uh, B-52. This Um, this was being floated when, 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 when Annie and I moved here uh in 91. Uh Yeah. Boeing, Wichita had finished just finished converting all the KC-135 tankers into KC-135Rs by putting high bypass ratio engines in place of the original turbojets. Mm-hmm. And even then, they were talking about this uh, idea as a way to extend the life and reduce the maintenance and operating costs of the, of, of the buff. I, yeah. I can yeah. see the T-shirts the team working on this has printed up already. So yeah. B-52 re-engine program. This time we're serious. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the thing that really jumped out at me on the story was that the goal of this, this uh, re-engineing is to try and extend the life, the useful life of B-52s to the year 2050, 2050. Uh which is just kind of crazy. I mean, it's like that's That'd be almost a hundred years old. A hundred, and I and that's what I wanted to think at first. Of course, they're not. The, the, this is actually for the H model. Apparently, the H model is the one that's kind of still flying, and the H model didn't get into. It weren't manufactured until much later than than the original design. Well, I think it was I the last series. Think, having said that, okay, time out a second. We're going to yeah. do some Google foo here. Okay, and, who, cool. and we're going to figure out when was the last B fifty two manufactured okay okay you do that i'm gonna bet you it was in the 60s uh mm, okay all right well you too i mean yeah it's too bad we don't have a device and and you're using it right now um the story i'm looking at here is actually from while you're looking i'll I'll fill time here by saying that this is a story in the uh, flightglobal.com website um and uh they have a, a draft proposal. Um, they're looking to buy 608 engines, um, plus, spar- plus spare engines and support equipment, enabling it to operate the heavy bombers until at least at least 2050. Um, and uh, they want to award the contract by next May. Um, the engines will actually be delivered over a 17-year period because why do anything quickly? Um, and uh oh wait a minute here it is it's in the story uh the story claims jeb let's see if you can confirm this Go ahead. um the services fleet of b52h's have flown with pratt and whitney engines since the early 60s it says here um that, well, i don't Wik- know if that Wikipedia. means the engines i don't know if that mean yeah, if that means the engines are from the early 60s or if the h models are from the 60s no, the, the h the, models the last I mean, this is according to wikipedia the last b52h 
left the factory mm-hmm. on October 26, drum roll please, 1962. 62. So, so. If, if they're talking about re-engineering this and making it um, mission capable through 2050, it will have been in, in use almost 90 years almost 90 years so our our you know the 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 the, i don't know what the right word would be the symbol the 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 the, you know heart of our strategic air forces will be an airframe will be a bunch of airframes not designs airframes that are 90 years old right being flown by the grandkids of their original crew. Yeah. Huh? Something, yeah. And, and Maybe something, even great grandkids. This is something I was thinking about when we were talking about the common a minute ago. Something designed with slide rules. Yeah. Okay. Which I don't know. Might make you more confident I, or, or might make you less. Yeah, it could go know. either way. Um, but that's something to keep in mind also. So. And the best B-52 movie ever. Yeah. Doctor Strange Love. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I was trying to think of other ones. And uh, slim, slim pickings. <laughs> yeah. the the best The best B fifty two adventure novels, though. And I wish I could. I, th- I want to say the author was Brown. So I want to say Stephen Dale Brown. Brown. Dale Brown. Um, like the Mega Fortress, and, and he that, did a series of, yeah. of novels which had uh, people. Uh, uh, you know the the main characters flying um, state of the art, truly state of the art um, B fifty twos on various anti terror and anti drug missions. And uh, I, I I read all those novels. This is a while ago though, but uh, yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, the, well, if memory serves, the engines are about the last thing that had not been upgraded on the B fifty two fleet. Yeah, and, and that a, you see that and that's to me that's almost fantastic because of the, all the advances that have been made in in propulsion and engines since the fifties when this was first designed. Now, there's also the issue of the. Um, diameter of the engines um this this is the same kind of problem that that boeing got into with the 737 uh they designed this low-wing airplane boeing did well in this case you know boeing designed both airplanes but um they designed this this airplane and then they started expanding it and and modifying it and modernizing it and all this kind of thing they had to keep putting larger and larger diameter engines on it but they didn't change the landing gear. So I wonder what, if anything, um, Boeing is going to do with, are, are they going to, for example, if they're in fact going to re-engine this, the B-52 after pick a number of, of attempts over the years, are they going to go to stick with, I should say, an eight-engine configuration? Are mm-hmm. they going to go with a four-engine configuration? What What's going to happen with all that? Mm-hmm. The other question comes up is, what's all this going to do for endurance and range? So I, I would think, you know, they've got to have the same amount of thrust at some point, but or even greater thrust available. Right. Um, but can we do that more efficiently, and can we extend range and endurance? I don't know the answers to these questions, but I, yeah. it'd be interesting to know what they are. 
Well, and I know for a fact that we have at least one listener who is actually deeply in, yes. was was in fact a, a, a buff pilot, uh-huh. um, and from time to time checks in with information for us, um, Maybe uh, answering so these again. kinds of questions. Um, and uh, if he's so inclined, I would love to hear from him again about uh, about his take on this whole situation. Now, you know, we kind of make I, it's a dramatic airplane. It's one of you know I've talked over the years about. My list of airplanes that were just the right design, the, the design that just clicked, um, and the B-52 obviously is one of them. Yeah. Um, it's just a design that, that you know, lives on because it was so right. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, we make a little fun of this, but uh, yeah, a cool airplane, cool airplane. Yeah, quick story, when uh, I was about 10 years old, uh, well, every... Every July, my father took us all to this uh, huge trap shooting competition in Vandalia, Ohio. And uh, we we got up there early one day. We always stayed in the same motel and ate at the same restaurants. And I, my brothers and I terrorized the uh, trap line, which was a, a mile and a half long of traps for trap shooting, where they throw the clay pigeon out and... We went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base one day to go to the museum, and it was a day the museum was closed. Big disappointment. But my dad parked us just outside the fence, just off the end of one of the runways, where we got to sit and watch a buff do its takeoff roll Mm -hmm. from a mile and a half away when it started. And it was about 45, 50 feet overhead when it came over our car and the car rocked uh-huh. when it went by not surprised yeah cool uh, but it was it was quite a sight mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> anyways well uh, the b52 lives on um so see you, you know the three of us we ain't so old <laughs> when you get right down to it uh we'll just we just need to be re-engined that's we all just need to be that's <laughs> like that's just actually, it's all it's all relative that's actually more true than i really want to admit just okay a, all right just need a new drivetrain moving on moving on um so has Harrison Ford been up to his height? Is his his more hijinks? What the heck is going on uh, here? I have no constructive comment. I, I you know I, I confess I haven't hardly read this story. Did he once again land on a wrong runway or or uh, what, I, what? Apparently he crossed a runway without a clearance. So he was taxiing. Yeah. Okay. Because apparently he's getting like a, a, he's receiving a talking to right. So this is a story from The Hill, um, our, one of our favorite aviation publications. <laughs> uh, it's not an aviation it's publication, not even, folks. It's not even a... Uh, not even a favorite publication. It's right? not even a good political publication. Yeah, okay. Uh, the headline is FAA investigating incident involving Harrison Ford saying he misheard tower instructions. Um, and uh, Federal Aviation Administration investigating an incident in which Har- actor Harrison Ford did not comply with tower instructions to wait for another aircraft to finish landing saying he misheard the directives so oops yeah okay uh i, I mean I, w- w- was this a close call or did he just technically not no. he just he just it, how what are the category guys that is a uh, runway uh, loss of separation <laughs> yeah he was supposed to wait on another airplane yeah it, but it, and so it was just a technical loss of separation it wasn't an actual dangerous close encounter 
Uh, well, okay. Didn't, just, didn't look like it. That, yeah, okay. So, anyways. All right. You know what? There, there but for the grace of I don't know what, go I. We, you know, we all need well, to pay attention, but yeah. these things happen, I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, often enough that we've even had senators land on closed runways yeah. over work crews. That was okay. I'm not sure if that was the same situation, but okay. Okay. Jeb, you sound like you were about to I, <laughs> you were about to be horrified. or, or, or I, yeah, right. I just, I don't have a whole lot to say. Yeah, okay. Just, all right. Yeah. So, anyways, it's. I guess that's all there is to say about that. I'm not nearly prepared for the next story. What's next here? Um, well, it, it, <clears throat> my, my closing comment on this, yeah. if, if it hadn't been a celebrity movie star, we wouldn't have even heard about this. Well, there's that, uh, Well, but of course. There's absolutely I mean, because, that. yeah, this happens. This has to happen pretty, you know, often around the country. It happens a couple of times a week, and that's yeah. after years and years of education and outreach by the FAA. You know, maybe I can come up with a runway incursion number here while we're talking, but. Right. Anyways, okay. All right. Be careful out there. Um, this is a story from, uh, uh, well, I found it on Twitter, but it's from the Twitter account of the Aviation Safety Network. Um, and uh, it's about an accident. It's, uh, I guess it may actually be an NTSB report. Anyways, it's an accident report of some sort um, about a King Air that, uh, 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 that crashed. Long story short, this caught my attention because the part of the probable cause that they indicated had to do with the failure of both AIs, uh, attitude indicators, on the aircraft. Um, and, and, and my observation is, I don't understand how that can be the cause of the crash since you don't need even one AI to safely fly an, fly an IMC. That's why you're doing cross-checks. That's why you're doing a scan, right? There are other ways to, I don't know. Am I, I'm probably way off base. I'm not an instrument pilot. I don't know. Um, Say that again. David, oh, I heard what he said. So, yeah, David, tell me why I'm wrong, because I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, the theory and what they teach us in instrument training is how to cross-check all your other instruments to make up for the failure of one of the instruments. And the attitude indicator, of course, is the scariest one. Uh, but your inner ear is the biggest liar in the universe. Well, almost the biggest liar in the universe. We, <laughs> yeah. We, okay. we, we won't go into that one. Uh, but losing attitude indicator in IMC... Uh, that's uh, that's a, that's challenging stuff. That's challenging stuff. And if the uh, if the IMC is really thick and you got to go a long way through it, uh, cross checking those other instruments should let you maintain a straight and level when you need to. But. Yeah, I'd be the last one in the world to claim that. Oh, yeah, that's a piece of cake. That's not a piece of cake. Yeah, uh, that that's yeah. really stressful, and you got to kind of get ahead on your scan because of the lag in uh, uh, response of the an old analog instruments. Uh, so to have both, and what puzzled me is why they took off with the first one failed to begin with. Yeah, so I'm sort of reading more closely the uh, the. Uh 
summary of the probable cause here. Um, so it talks about the fact, so it says, one, for undetermined reasons, the left side attitude indicator failed in flight. And then it says, two, although just before takeoff, the crew acknowledged that the right side attitude indicator was not operative. They expected it to become operative at some point in the flight. Is what it says here. As a result, they did not refer to the minimum equipment list and departed into instrument meteorological conditions with an inoperative attitude indicator. And it goes on. There's actually seven items yeah. here. It, um, it, it does talk a little bit about lack of uh, of, of recent experience or or, or, or car, you know time in uh, um, partial panel flying. Um, it says the captain and for oh, and then it, it this number six of seven says the captain and first officer likely experienced spatial disorientation. Oh uh, hell yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, couple of thoughts. One, uh, Dave's absolutely correct. You cannot accurately, reliably maintain control in instrument conditions without um, the instruments. Um, Try and try again, and every time you're going to come out the other end, uh, uh, you know, in a hurt. Um, the problem with having two attitude indicators, well, the problem. Let me back up. The problem with having backup attitude indicators is you need a tiebreaker. Right. So in a in an aircraft like this that was equipped with two in-service operational attitude indicators and by the time by the word operational i mean to be used normally during flight um the problem is you don't have a third one as a tiebreaker um in this case we see why apparently they followed both of them into the ground um, and if they'd had a third one, the chances of all three of them dying without some other systemic failure is pretty pretty slim. Um, so that's one solution, if you will. You want to call it a solution or, or one of the, the jumping off points um, for, for getting out of this kind of accident. Um, my airplane has only two, but they're powered independently. And... Um, it's fairly easy to tell with the cross check that Dave correctly mentioned which one is is wrong if if any of them are wrong um, and that's you know the key to surviving something like this we don't know what the failed attitude indicator we don't know if the f- failed attitude the, the original the pilot the co-pilot side attitude indicator um, what its failure mode was mm-hmm. uh, we don't know if it was showing presenting something or if it was reacting somehow to to uh, the uh, planes changing attitude and we also don't know how that may have comported with the other attitude indicator but um, cross check cross check cross check you can survive uh, an attitude instrument failure but only if you know about it and b if you're um, skilled at flying partial panel on instruments and the paranoia in in yeah. me over this very scenario yeah. is what prompted us to put standby vacuum system in Air Comanche at the first annual after I got my instrument rating. Yeah. Uh, if I'd have been smarter, I'd already had it done. But uh, the standby suction system did two things for me. Uh, the most important one in my mind 
was the little red light that would come on uh-huh. when the suction fell below a certain point. Uh, you know, it's one thing to cross-check the inst- the gauge that shows you what the suc- suction is, mm-hmm. but I learned in my private training that even with a good scan, you may not pick up on the fact that it's no longer five inches. It's now only two and a half right away. And in the meantime, the uh, attitude indicator is starting to uh, uh, to die on you, and it's not showing you accurate inst- indication. So that light coming on was a big help. It also was a big help when I'd shut the airplane down and remind me to shut off the electrical system. Uh-huh. But that's not a fatal problem. Right. Uh, it, something that stuck out in here with, when I went to the site that uh, – the uh, uh, link took us to the guy asking a question in absence of functional secondary ADI, what can be used for pitch and roll references? Well, that's what we spent a lot of time learning yeah. and practicing in instrument training. Right. That's, for, that's IFR 101 practically. Right? Yeah. For pitch, uh, you got two indicators there. You've got your altimeter and your airspeed indicator. And if you pitch down, the airspeed indicator is going to go up and the altitude is going to go down, and you're going to get vertical speed, hopefully. Uh, Roll reference, got the directional gyro, the gyro compass, uh, and you've got the whiskey compass up there on the panel. Uh, They will tell you that you're turning. Right. and The turn coordinator as well, right? Yeah, yeah, and you could be at a roll attitude and not be turning. So, oh yeah, okay. You know that's something that the attitude indicator would tell you, but in this case, if things are going foobar, chances are if you're rolling, you're turn. If you're in a roll attitude, you're turning. Yeah. So those are your backups. That's what you spend a, a fully half the time of your instrument training practicing to recognize and use mm-hmm. partial panel. Yeah, partial okay. panel, uh, sticky notes, and little rubber suction cups to go over stuff that the uh, flight inst- instructor nicely fails for you. And for the record, I I did almost all of my instrument training at night. Uh, it does not get more realistic in any other circumstances than doing it at night i would imagine i would imagine okay all right then well uh, once again be careful out there um you know remember your training as we used to say all the time in the uh, in the disclaimer and practice 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 yep there you go it uh, may not take you to carnegie hall but it may keep you alive. Uh, which might take you to Carnegie Hall. Uh, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. I'm going to cherry pick the list a little bit here. Um, David, did you know who was Rudy Frasca? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What What a nice guy. Uh, yeah. Bloody clever as hell. Uh, my encounters and uh, acquaintanceship with uh, Rudy started at one of the early uh Oshkosh air shows I attended, and he was there with a, I believe it was a replica of a Japanese Zero. Uh, uh, Rudy collected uh, old aircraft, some real warbirds, some of them replicas. Uh, he came up there one year with a, uh, a, a German airplane. He came up there another year with the Japanese. I think they were replicas. Uh, but he liked to get them out and, and put them out where the public could see them and, and have them flown. And uh, that uh, 
that that's where we cross paths. Uh, but his simulator business, uh, boy, the guy started out as a service technician on the link trainer uh, when he was uh, in the military, and that and his engineering training grew into this very successful company. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that its success continues. Rudy was 89, so I'm not sure how much day-to-day he was involved in the company anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hadn't seen him at the last couple of air ventures, but that's probably my shortcoming and not his. And and he has recently passed is the point. Yes. Part of yeah, the point the, last week. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, this week. Mm-hmm. Uh couple of days ago uh rudy was a genuinely nice guy uh produced a produced his company produces a great product uh and it's nice to see competition for uh the two or three other companies that are in this business so uh a loss to the community but the man had a a good long life Yeah. yeah okay uh, Jeb, anything you wanted to add to that? Um, I don't know whether you knew Rudy. No, I didn't. I didn't know Rudy, uh, but he had a great rep. Uh, he had a great product, from what I understand. Uh, he was, uh, you know, a warbird aficionado. Um, clearly into um, aviation as a vocation and an avocation. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, um, he, he is a loss. Thankfully, yeah. he, he was with us for a while and, and uh, did what he did. There you go. Um, while, while I got the floor real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Runway incursions. Uh, FAA has a page. Um, runway incursions by fiscal year quarter, yada, yada, yada. Um, actually looking at um, upwards of one a day throughout the FAA system. And they're right. broken down um, three different ways. And I don't understand these, these uh, abbreviations, so I can't tell you what they are. But like um, – uh, January of uh, this year, uh, there were a hundred, so uh, uh, actually more like three a day. Um, February ninety and March one hundred and three mm-hmm. uh, runway incursions of all kinds, so, and relatively relatively few of them get reported in the in the hill. None of yeah, v- very few of them get reported <laughs> in the hill. Thank you okay. very much. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it um, helps if you've carried a blaster. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, well, it also so, helps if you got nothing else to write about. So, uh, you know. uh, well, huh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Um, on the subject of cherry picking, Jeb, is there any story here that you don't want to skip? No. No? No. David, uh, James Weeby's got a new thing, huh? What's going on with that? Are you paying? I know you're friends with James. Are you? Have you been in touch with him? So James was developing some really cool, um, uh, very small aircraft, and then they had a terrible fire, and like basically their entire shop got destroyed, um, and to the point where they decided to abandon the whole business. What was it they called that aircraft, David? The, uh, the. Oh, he had the zipper and the yeah. shipper, and yeah. it all started when he bought the uh, 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 the ultralight version of a, uh, a kit plane. The right. uh, oh, gee, many I can see it, and my brain just right. went blank on it. But but so he decided uh, not to uh, not to resume that aircraft development program after the fire. But uh, he hasn't retired. Uh, he's now in the what the battery? Well, not the battery business, but the uh, power source business. What, what's going on? Do you know? 
Well, he's uh, James, an electronic engineer, and uh, worked in the computer business and storage, and uh, made uh, made a fortune there that he was uh, able to dump into his air, airplane ambitions, and uh, the. Uh, light and the chipper and the pro cub and the sky dock they they were all interesting and ambitious takes on creating low-cost light aircraft for fun and fun and flying now he's back into electronics and uh, this is uh, developing a uh, thin air what was the word for it it, it it's an energy source. They call it a super capacitor. Capacitor. Now, it used to be if you look, took electrical engineering or uh, uh, electronics, you learned that capacitors are one-way devices. You get them charged up, and when they discharge, they discharge completely all at once, and they're done until you recharge them again. Uh, we had capacitors in the points, uh, uh, distributors of our uh, ignition systems for years, and that's what they did. They stored up a big chunk of energy, and when the points opened, and let it discharge into the spark plug, and boom. Well, these supercapacitors, and they've been using them for a while uh, in some applications, uh, don't discharge instantly, can completely, and they found a way to modulate the discharge so that it can act like a battery. And uh, they've got the uh, the device they call the thin air. Uh, it's a uh, eight day, seven night solar powered device that. Uh, provides power where you need it when you need it i can't think of a better way to 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 put it uh this has got leds to light but it doesn't use batteries it uses these super capacitors uh the uh manufacturers of those right now are maxwell and tesla uh and james is adapted this to a uh, a camping light night light emergency light uh takes charge for two hours and can uh in in, in about 40 minutes to get to 80 yeah. percent of its capacity mm-hmm. yeah this is the yeah this is the thing power storage mostly in the form of batteries but others as well obviously is a is a big thing is a big thing and it's light. Uh, the the one that they, he's, he's been working on and he's uh, uh, pushing right now weighs uh, 22 ounces. Uh, what is that? Uh, pound, pound eight ounces. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It uh, can charge a cell phone two to three times on a single charge from the 35 watt hours that the uh, that the air power. Uh, can charge up to yeah. uh cool stuff it looks we, very interesting yeah 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 maybe keep an eye on this and uh, wish him well and uh yeah uh, I, I i hope this takes off uh and uh provides him years of work and success there we go there we go um there's one other thing i want to talk about here first uh, david let me give you the same choice uh, chance uh, anything else you don't want to skip on this list well, I want to point out one thing here. Yeah. And where was it? It was back when we were talking about instrument flying. It, the link that says 
what to do if you find yourself inadvertently in a thunderstorm. Yeah. But barring the fact that you should have already turned around uh, and you didn't, and now you've got to deal with it. I'm not going to dive into this here, but folks, it is worth every minute that it takes to read it and absorb it and put it into your into your uh, brain as a, as, a, as a way to get out. This story, you mean this uh, yeah. uh, uh, bold method story? All right. Well, that, even though we don't talk about it too much, I'll make sure it's in the uh, in the show notes if anybody wants to take a look. It's from the the, uh, the aviation website Bold Method um, that uh, you can probably find with Google as well. But we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, great. What's next? Uh, so I wanted to. Uh, so this is UCAP episode number four hundred and ninety nine. Um, and, uh, and, and although I'm always quick to point out that that doesn't mean this is the 499th episode, um, because we've done a great many episodes with letter, um, suffixes on them. Um, and, uh, and we've also had a few of the numbered numbers that got skipped There's a handful of those over, over history. Um, so it's not number four, but it's number 499 and the next one would have been 500 and that's kind of magical, I guess. Um, and we're not, and, and and the, but the next episode that you hear will not be called 500. It won't be special in that regard um, because we were going to do something really cool for episode 500 and then the, the uh, pandemic and, and all of the travel restrictions um, made it very difficult for us to do what we wanted to do. And so we're going to put that on hold. And eventually we'll have some sort of special episode that celebrates uh, you know, reaching a, a, a magical number. Um, but we're not going to do that for now. Um, we're just going to kind of move on to uh, the next the next, I don't know, phase or era or whatever of, uh, of uncontrolled airspace. But I did want to take a minute here just to kind of, I don't know what, reminisce or, um, you know, um, thank you guys. It's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. We're not done. Don't get, don't get anybody panic. But um, I've really, really enjoyed doing this. Um, there are parts of it I'm not as wild about, but the, the talking to you guys every couple of weeks is my favorite part. And uh, um, I, I just want to kind of thank you for, for taking me up on my crazy idea way back when. Um, and I just want to invite you to two of you, David and Jeb, to, uh, to you know, I mean, what, what, if anything, has this podcast meant to you? Um, you know, is it, I don't know if that, I'm sorry, I'm kind of jump. I'm dropping this in your lap. And, but uh, any thoughts on... Didn't on, we talk about surprises? Yeah, I know. Long, strange trip um, is, uh, uh, you know, here we are. Crazy, huh? Yeah, crazy. Crazy. Still crazy after all these years. That one's, that's a good one, too. All right, there we go. I'm, I'm working on episode titles here. I'm, uh, I'm testing them all out here. No, no, uh, no good deed will go unpunished. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Maybe that's it right there. Uh, um, if but, we ever get around to doing a good deed. Yeah. I can't imagine. I wonder if we actually use it. Go ahead, Jeb. Were you about to say something? No, I, I, I think back to those those early uh, Jane, you ignorant slut days and, and, and why in the hell you put up with us to begin with. Uh, but um, uh, it's been a fun ride. And uh, uh, I thank you, for Jack, for... for uh, putting this together and, and keeping it together. Um, and um, I look forward to doing it some more. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, it's, uh, you know, the thing that, I mean, before I say anything, David, anything, any thoughts from you about the, you know, sort of experience or the, the whatever? It's, it's funny because 
I'm sorry, I asked you to talk and then I'm going to interrupt you. Here's one thing that's really weird, all right? So when we started doing this podcast, all right, we had to tell people what a podcast was. I mean, like, nobody understood. It was a totally new, it was really early. We weren't, you know, the very earliest, but we were probably a year, two years into when podcasts even existed when we started this thing. Um, and, and I'm sure you had the same experience. Whenever we told someone we were doing this thing, we had to also explain what a podcast was. And now... It's the other way around completely. Everybody knows what a podcast is. Podcasts have really, really come into their own in the last five years or so. And so it's very different in that regard. It's like, you know, I, you know that's, that's, that strikes me as odd anyways. Um, I had to put the name. When, 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 so the official name of the podcast is Uncontrolled Airspace. But I've always said and written uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast and the reason i did that was so that a would people would know that it was a podcast and the word would be there i also wanted i wanted it to be google searchable um i wanted you know that and, and it worked for a long time i don't I haven't done it recently but for a long time if you if you google searched general aviation podcast um we would be on the first page not not first necessarily but we were on the first page um now you don't need to tell people anymore what a podcast is Everybody, I think most basically everybody knows what a podcast is. David, what has it meant to you? Anything in particular? Well, it's uh, it, it surprised me. I was not exactly comfortable with the uh, surprising amount of notoriety that being part of this little podcast uh, uh, generated for me very early on. I remember uh, that. Yeah. And, uh, since then, interacting with the uh, with the listeners like we uh, usually do at our tie down party at Oshkosh, which of course is not happening this year, that's been extremely gratifying. Uh, occasionally meeting people uh, out in the world who, oh yeah, listen to that. Uh, that's been gratifying. Getting together with you guys just to sh- shoot the breeze about aviation—that's the hot point. Yeah, I agree. The few times that we've taken little breaks, and from time to time we'll take, you know, a, a few weeks off or, 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 you know, a couple times we've taken like a month off. Um, and uh, and it's I've always kind of missed the get-together, that's for sure. You know, I, I think if we ever decided to f- retire this podcast, we might schedule a phone call anyways just to say hi. Uh, that's that I, I, enjoy, I as well enjoy that a lot. Um, anyways, I don't know. Jeb, anything else before we... Uh, no, except that when you Google the phrase "general aviation podcast," yeah, the first, even, the f- yeah. well, the second image on the page is our logo. All right, there we go. Yeah, so I, but now I got to know what's first. I don't know. It's the flight safety detectives. It's uh, uh is I, it is it a sponsored or is it a real link? Is it a real search I, result? I'm not sure what it is. It's um, um, apparently it's a. I, 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 it's a podcast. That's all I can tell. It looks like it involves John Golia and um, and uh, Keith Fife. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, Greg um, Fife. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Uh huh. For Greg, what it's worth, go yeah. On, go ahead. No. I'm sorry. I was going to say for what it's worth. So I've recently been changing over from using Google as my search engine to using the terribly named but surprisingly good DuckDuckGo um, as uh, as my search engine. Um, and so when I do a general aviation podcast search uh we are the third hit on the first page um 
And uh, yeah, none of these are sponsored. Um, we're the third hit. We're actually the third and the sixth. Let's see now. Yeah, the third and the sixth hits on the first page. Um, and uh, so, anyways, yeah. Uh, long strange trip. Thank you. Long it's been fun. Trip. Not done by any means, but uh, I, I just wanted to, you know, say a few words. Uh, any other closing thoughts? Or, uh, fork time. Fork time. Fork time. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, uh, once again, uh, a great pleasure to uh, hang out with you and chat with you here on our virtual hangar. Uh, Jeb Burnside. Uh, Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? Anything fun? I uh, put the June issue of the magazine to bed uh, a week or so ago, and I'm, I'm uh, basking in that glow. Um, right now, I've I'm... I've finished up another project for uh, another client, as they say. Actually, two projects for another client. Uh, so I'm basking in that glow also. But in the process of all of that, I've kind of had to let a couple of things slide around the house. So I'm really just trying to work to, to you know, get dishes done and do laundry and and general cleaning and, and these kinds of things just to make sure that uh, – um, you know, if, if, if I did kick off and someone went in, came in here, they wouldn't have to hold their nose, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, uh, uh, where can people find out about you and all this stuff on the internet? Well, let's see. Aviation safety com for the magazine. Um, some of the projects, uh, I work on, uh, periodically would go with, uh, AEA.net, uh, com, uh, general com. Avweb.com, and if that doesn't work, um, if you can't find me somewhere like that, stop looking. Sounds good. Sounds good. And Dave Higdon, David, thank you. Uh, Dave is a aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. What have you been working on, David? Well, I was just looking that up now that I re- now after sixteen years and five hundred episodes, I remember to do this ahead of time. Sixteen? Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't. Is that right? What did you say? Well, we're in our sixteenth year. Sixteen. So six. All right, something like that, I guess, right? In our old age, I lose the ability to do We're almost old enough to drive. I know, (laughs) huh? I'm sorry, David, what have you been working on? Well, uh, my uh, uh, latest in uh, Avbuyer magazine, uh, the mistakes to avoid when buying an aircraft, and we look at seven common mistakes that people make, uh, and uh, how to... uh, how to keep from falling into the trap that they can be. Uh, in avionics news, I uh, got two pieces in this month. Uh, the, uh, the I think the more notable one here, because the first one is on ADSB internationally, and EASA, the European Authority, just rendered it inaccurate uh, with a change in their deadline for ADSB. Uh, just in the past week or so. Yeah, so, they give it like a six-month extension or something. Yeah, six more months. You know, it's uh, it's ironic be, after all of that that uh, the FAA did not get an opportunity to, to delay the effective date of ADSB. Yeah, yeah, they they weren't going to do that. No. Uh, but the uh, second story in avionics news this month is uh, on diversity. And we're not talking about social diversity. Uh, we're talking about diversity in ADSB systems, where you have a second antenna on the top of the fuselage 
so that the system can communicate line of sight with low Earth orbit satellites the company put up privately to provide global ADSB connection and tracking. And they're in the process of firing that up with uh, air, uh, uh, airspace authorities like the FAA and European uh, uh, controllers in England and around the world. Uh, it's the same equipment, but the transponder has to have a second channel to feed a second antenna. And uh, the beauty of it is that it doesn't require any ground stations. Uh, it can all be relayed by satellite down to the control units on the ground and let everybody know where everybody is, regardless of where they are on the planet. And that's going to be a coming thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Europeans are already looking at it. I expect that they... The uh, FAA will start to uh, look at this as a potential requirement for commercial traffic, Mm -hmm. specifically. Uh, After it's been long enough for everybody to get over the sting of what they paid to go to ADSB out to begin with. Right. So I I wouldn't expect to see that become a requirement here or get proposed as a requirement here for another three or four years. for one thing, there aren't that many diversity-capable transponders in production right now. And if the avionics community is as smart as I've seen them be, they're going to find a way to uh, make it a plug-and-play replacement or ideally an upgrade to existing equipment, which mm-hmm. I understand is pretty difficult. So. Sounds interesting. What publication is that going to be in? That's in Avionics News this okay. month. Great. That sounds interesting. I'd like to look at that. Well, great. Thank you. Uh, where can people find out about all these things on the internet, David? Well, uh, AEA.net for my Avionics News uh, work, uh, avbuyer.com for uh, my business aviation work with uh, those folks in London. Uh or you can find me as Real Higdon on the Twitter machine, and I'm on LinkedIn. Sounds great. Sounds great. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Um, I, unlike you guys, and I'm a little jealous of you guys, uh, in at least in this regard, and that is that uh, my day job has completely disappeared in these pandemic times. Um, the, uh, the the live gathering, live events world is just completely on hold right now. And so I've been home for the longest I've been home in a couple of years, and there's no end in sight. So I've got no day job. I'm just kind of like semi-retired. Well, so I'm learning. I'm, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm learning some uh, a new um, uh, digital media skills, uh, particularly um, in the area of motion graphics. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. Um, continuing to study my Italian, getting a little bit better at that, but uh, still still don't have the courage to say it in public. We'll get there eventually, one of these days. Um, and, Were you after some better pizza recipes or something? <laughs> something like that, yeah. And uh, um, I actually, in in my study of the Italian language, I keep coming across references to food, and I'm going, oh, you know, I've had that occasionally in my life, but not regularly. I, I want to eat that. So once restaurants reopen, I'm got, I've got a list of Italian restaurants I'm going to go visit, not to speak at, but to eat at for sure. Uh, let's see now. And I'm continuing to... Uh, 
to try and log all of the uh, old UCAP content uh, for a variety of different projects um, that uh, that will be announced as time goes on. So so keeping busy for the most part here during these pandemic days and uh, and and more as time goes on. Um, you can find out about me uh, online most of the usual places just by searching for the username Jack Hodgson. Uh, for example, YouTube Jack Hodgson, Twitter Jack Hodgson, Patreon Jack Hodgson. On Amazon, you can find my ebooks uh, by searching for Around the Field in the books section, and you can sign up for my email newsletter at uh, my personal website jackhodgson.com. Uh, UCAP, of course, is also available on the internet. Uh, you can find us um, on Twitter at uh, Class G Airspace. That's Class, the letter G, and then Airspace all bumped together. That's on Twitter. Um, on Patreon, we are Patreon slash uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, um, and of course, our our homepage, our main website is uncontrolledairspace.com. David, was there something you were going to tell us? Well, obviously, we've lived a long time to uh, be doing this podcast for so long and so many episodes, and the key to it all is aviation, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And for all you younger pilots out there, wannabe pilots out there, just remember, uh, you have a choice. You can grow up and be an adult, or you can become a pilot. You can't do both. Yeah. <laughs>